Thank you. you. May be seated. I would invite you tonight to turn with me, if you'd like to, to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. We're going to begin reading at verse 1. And although in your NIV Bibles um, some manuscripts do not contain verse 4, we will be including verse 4 in our reading tonight. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. From time to time an angel of the Lord would come down to stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each disturbance would be cured whatever disease they had. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to be healed? Or do you want to get well? Sir, the ailing one replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And then skipping down to verse 14. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The theme of the message is tonight, When God's power encounters my weakness. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, tonight as we have are once again pondering this scripture as we have been praying about this moment. We more and more have seen ourselves in the place of this man. There are some of us that need to be healed. There are some of us that need to experience your power in other ways, your Holy Spirit, your sanctifying power. There are some of us that have issues in our lives that we need you to help us deal with. Lord, whatever it is tonight, we see you coming to us. We see you intervening, and we pray tonight that you would open up your word to us, Lord, and that you would show us, through your word, how we can tap into your power. We thank you that you care about us. We thank you that you do intervene and that you are faithful to make yourself real to us every day if we will surrender to you. For it's in your strong name we pray, Jesus. Amen. What do we see in this story? I believe that we see a situation, again, as I prayed, of what can happen when God's power encounters weakness. I believe that Jesus still comes to us today and says, I want you to experience an encounter with my power. Now, what happens when we encounter his power? Well, I believe that for us, just like for this man, there is transformation. And I believe that we have here in this scripture tonight some principles that we can look at together and apply to our lives if we allow God to intervene and help us in areas where we need transformation. I believe the first principle we see in verse 6, and that is this, that if God is going to transform us and if we are going to encounter His power in our weakness, we must be willing, first of all, to step out of our comfort zones. 
I believe this is what was happening in verse 6. Jesus came and he looked at this man who had been ill for 38 years. The writer of the story neither tells us his name nor is very specific about what kind of illness this man had. But Jesus looks at him and says, Do you want to be healed? Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read this, I thought, well, what kind of a question is that? I mean, the people who are gathered around that pool are there for a reason. They are there because they would like to be healed. Sort of like the kind of looks you might get or people may wonder about you if you went to a doctor's office here in town and asked this question. Or even more so if you went into an emergency room and asked some people who were there waiting to see the doctor, do you want to be healed? But I propose to you that Jesus asked him this question because he wanted this man to grapple with what we would call in modern language or in modern concepts his comfort zone. What is a comfort zone? I'm not going to get real detailed about that, but just to make sure that we're on the same page, a comfort zone is a very personal thing. It uh, usually doesn't make sense to anyone else but you. It's a boundary that you set in your life wherein you determine what makes you comfortable and what doesn't. And sometimes that boundary of comfort is in your best interest and sometimes it is not. And here we're talking about something that was not in this man's best interest. In fact, he might have been miserable and yet in a strange kind of way he may have developed some level of contentment with with his misery. Maybe he had stopped caring. People sometimes who are in their comfort zones want to stay there because they feel apathetic. Maybe the pain of continuing to wish constantly for healing over all of these many years and being at this pool had become intolerable for him because just as he began to hope, his hopes would be dashed. Now, we um, don't really know exactly how long of those 38 years he had been brought to this pool. It says he had been sick that long. It doesn't tell us how much he had been at that pool. It also doesn't tell us how often for those who were brought to this place the water was stirred. But just think with me for a moment. If out of 38 years of sickness, if just 19 of those years he had been there, and let's say about once a month of those 19 years he had either been there and not gotten in the pool quick enough or had heard that the water had been stirred but it missed out, in that amount of time, if you do the math, that would have been about 228 times where this man had been disappointed. Or maybe, maybe the opposite is true. Maybe in, he had been recently brought there. Maybe this concept of the pool was a new thing to him, even though he had been sick for 38 years. And so for him, it was not that he had experienced some kind of hurt to where he was, had become disillusioned, and so he needed to think about whether he really wanted to be healed. But maybe it was more the situation that disappointment had not yet had a chance to set in, and he just really hadn't had a chance to stop and think about what his life would be like and how it would be changed if he really, really was healed. How about you and I today? I remember in the pastor at one time I had a woman who said to me, Pastor Jan, you've got to understand that for this situation I am in now, hope does not help me. The prospect of hope does not help me. Hope hurts me. I understood what she meant. She had been disappointed so many times over and over and over again that it was difficult to care again. And so to hang on and to experience any kind of intervention from God, she had to really face the fact of 
whether or not she was, could really continue to take the risk. Some of us today may say, well, more it's not necessarily the apathy of disappointment, but what I'm dealing with in my life is that, well, I know that God maybe could do this for me or maybe help me in this area of my life where I could experience His power and His help and His strength. But, wow, I really start to think about what that would mean. If I got right with God, He might call me to preach. He might call me to Nazarene Bible College. And maybe you've already fought that battle, but there may be other things in your life now where it's like, you know, if I really stretch that much, boy, it would be really great to be at that point in my life. It would be great for God to intervene in my life, but boy, what kind of cost would be involved? And so the question then, either way to us, no matter which situation you're in, and again, we're not sure of this man's situation, but whichever place you are, the question again addresses a central issue that must resolve for each of us. Are you really sure that you want your life to be different? And I believe this man answered in the affirmative. However, his answer was focused on obstacles. And so I believe this brings us to the second principle of what had to be dealt with. Not only did he have to learn to step outside and grapple with his comfort zone, but he needed to identify the real obstacles in his life. Let's look at this. In chapter, this same chapter, verse 7, he says, Sir... The ailing one replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And every time I try to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now his focus here is on a divine solution in a sense. But the obstacles that he focuses on really are not the obstacles that he should be focusing on. In other words the resolution of those obstacles was not going to be what was most helpful to him. Now we can see it easily from our vantage point. Here is Jesus, the all-powerful God in flesh, who comes up and asks you if you want to be healed. We stand back and watch that and we say, my goodness, and all this man can see is from his small, limited outlook. Only healing he knows of is in this small, limited context. It's sort of like a cook who's standing there at a table where you are seated with your empty plate. And if you haven't had supper, this will make you especially hungry. Standing there with this huge pot, stirring this luscious, delicious stew, looks down at your empty plate and looks at you and says, Are you hungry? And you say, Well, I can't seem to get to the grocery store. Well, that's the problem, but that's not quite the obstacle or the solution there. I believe that in this story, progress is not made in this man's life until the real obstacle is identified. Now, he thought again was this other obstacle and that the solution was for Jesus perhaps to do it his way. In fact, maybe he was implying that to Jesus. It's sort of like, okay, maybe what he would have liked was for Jesus to come along and say, hey, you know, I've got the inside scoop on this. I happen to know 15 minutes from now the water's going to be stirred again. I can stand here and we can calculate and figure it out and we can nail it so close that if you'll just hop on my back or if you'll just position yourself where you don't mind me pushing you in or maybe I can pick you up, we'll do this thing together. But that's not what Jesus did, was it? Jesus, while not directly stating the obstacle, nonetheless defined it because what he offered to the man was a solution that he knew 
was the right solution. It was a solution that transcended that man's understanding. And you know, in our lives, sometimes the things that we think are the obstacles and the problems are what we focus on. But they aren't really the key to the answer for our transformation. We think that we're seeing a solution, and yet nothing changes because we're not asking the right questions. You see, the problem is out there, God. The problem's not right here. My relationships stink, God, but that's just because people have something against me. I don't know. They may not like something about my face. But what about, God would say to us, what about, or the Holy Spirit would say to us, what about that lousy attitude you have, that chip you carry on your shoulder? God, the obstacle is in my life are so huge. Things are not going according to plan since we moved to Colorado Springs. And so God must be hindering me or, or there must be some hindrance outside of me. And maybe it is God. Maybe He's really shutting this door after all. Maybe He really doesn't want me here. So we're packing up and we're heading home. But the still small voice of God says, that's not the real obstacle. What about that deep level of mistrust in me and in my power that you've never dealt with. Oh, I have this problem with this particular vice. I know some of the things I'm caught up in and I do. I know I shouldn't. But no outward forces come to overwhelm me and to take it away. But God would say, what about that deep lack of desire for purity? And what about the humility you need to admit to someone that you need to be accountable you might say, oh, wait a minute. Okay, I get it. I hear what you're saying, Professor Deuce. Uh, you're saying um, when Jesus said this to this guy, what he meant is, well, you have the potential within yourself to take responsibility for yourself, so get up and walk if you want to. You know, I've heard this text handled that way. That the guy had the potential all along, and all he had to do was just see his limitations, and Jesus was just pointing them out. But that is not the message here. The message here is that we need in our lives to locate with the help of the Holy Spirit the real obstacles and the real solution in our lives. Which then leads to the third principle, which is change your outlook in verse 8. The outlook that this man adopted, this is where he's the example for us. This man adopted one of complete trust and surrender. Because if you look at the sequence of how this happened, I direct your attention to verse 9. Well, verse 8 first, Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. It said, At once the man was cured, and then he picked up his mat and walked. So Jesus released his healing power, and the man in faith acted upon it. This again was the enabling God who was God-man, who was God in flesh. This was Jesus, the light of the world, the bread of life, who met this man's need. And it was only Jesus who could do it in only the way Jesus can do it. You see, I see in changing your outlook as this man did, I see it as telling us that we must surrender to God our claim and our right to making excuses. We need to be honest to let Him deal with what is really going on in our lives. Jesus says, let's get past the excuses. Let's get on with transformation. Let's get past the excuses. Let's get on with healing. 
Because finally then we need to, and we see this principle here, cooperate fully with Christ. Again, Jesus gave the command, and yet it was the man who got up. No one carried or pulled him up. Now I want to insert here then verse 14, which I think goes along too with the concept of cooperating fully with Christ. It's significant, verse 14 is, because it stresses the importance of continuing our lives in submission to God. Jesus says to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now some people would interpret this as being a statement of retribution. That Jesus is saying, Oh boy, you think what happened to you or what you've gone through is horrible for all those years? You just sin and see what God does to you next. Now I don't believe that's what the message is here. I believe it is still Jesus saying to him, If you are going to continue to experience my power in your life, There must be an attitude of submission where it is my way instead of your way. And isn't it the essence of sin? It is self-curved in upon itself saying, my way instead of God's way. Jesus is saying, you can turn away from that lifestyle and please be sure that you do it. Because the worst thing that can happen in your life is for you to unplug your power within the empowering of me in your life. Live a life pleasing to God is always required if we are going to live in His power and strength and not in ours alone. Now listen, I am not suggesting that all problems and illness boils down to the fact that a person has sin in their lives. That's not the point. All I'm saying is that for God to operate effectively in us, our lives must be built and founded on full submission to God. What God wants, God's way. This is a dependency on Him. It is the capacity to depend upon Him so that He will intervene in our lives however He, however He chooses to operate. And so if we are going to live in the fullness of His power, we must step out of our comfort zones. We must allow God to help us identify the real obstacles in our lives. We need to embrace His solution. We need to change our outlook. We need to cooperate fully with Christ in ultimate surrender to Him. And then we can take those steps to knowing His full power released in our lives. Let us pray. Lord, I, I really, as I prayed about this, you know, as you and I talked this over, I really didn't feel that I needed to give an altar call tonight, and I'm still not feeling that and sensing that. But I'd like for there to be something tangible, Lord, for these people to seal this in their minds, because I may have touched on some things that some people need to deal with. But Lord, I ask that you would confirm this, and seal this in the minds and the hearts of these marvelously obedient, wonderful students who've heard your call, and yet many of them know that there are some comfort zones in their lives that you need to break apart. That they have been resting on and making excuses for what they thought were the obstacles when what they really need to do is turn to you. 
that some of them need to change their perspective and their outlook, and only you, Lord, alone know who they are. And so I pray tonight, Lord, as we sing this response and as we go from here, that we will truly in our hearts and our spirits give all to you and learn that there is a sufficient God who comes and holds his hand out to us and says, get up. You can walk. We can do it together. Whatever it is in your life that is not complete, I want to give you my power to show you and to help you to overcome. And we will walk in healing and wholeness together. In the strong name of Jesus we pray. Amen.